Welcome back. Uh, this is our continuing on our two parts here now. Uh, divine on worship, what Lutheran worship is, specifically in the divine service. And today, at this recording, we are going to talk about, we're going to walk through the divine service as it is recorded in Lutheran service book. In Lutheran service book, produced by Concordia Publishing House, uh, 2006, uh, there are five divine services. And there's a unique origin to all of them. Uh, divine service setting one and setting two. Uh, these were uh, worship services or set, uh, divine service settings that were put together for um, the publication of Lutheran Book of Worship uh, back in the 1970s. Uh, divine service setting three, uh, many of those who grew up with the old TLH. Uh, so this red hymnal right here, the Lutheran hymnal. Um, it is divine. That is page 15 of their hymnal, that hymnal, um, with a alterations in terms of modernizing of language, but ultimately very similar in, in style. Uh, divine service setting four was first introduced in uh, hymnal supplement, supplement 1998. As you can tell, it came out in 1998. Uh, and then divine service setting five is the um, Luther's Deutsch Mass, uh, so the German Mass. And so that would have been coming out in the 1500, in the 1500s. And so also within this, this hymnal, there's also evening prayer, uh, morning prayer, vespers, matins, compline. Those are all part of the daily offices and discussion for another time. So... Uh, what we're going to do, like I said, we're just going to walk through divine service setting three. And I pick in that because it is known as the common service. You could, like I said, we many are familiar with it from when it appeared in the Lutheran hymnal from 1941. Uh, but it actually dates itself back to the 1800s. It's known as the common service. And many of the elements of it actually go back pretty far. And so it's at the core, it's a very similar, very common liturgy. It's called the common service for a reason because you see it's been seen throughout the centuries. So the divine service is broken up into three parts. There is the pre-service. So that's, there's a pre-service, the service of the sacrament, the service of the word, and then the service of the sacrament. And so we're going to start with the service of um, the pre-service. So at the beginning of the service, the very first thing that happens is, now sometimes there will be an opening hymn. Now that varies, and we'll talk about hymns later, but sometimes they'll start with an opening hymn. And then after they've done that, the first words of liturgy is the pastor will say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This is the invocation. What it is, is it's a recognizing of God's presence in amongst us in the midst of worship. It's the recognition of God's fulfilling of his, Jesus' fulfilling of his promise from Matthew 28 when he says, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when we're doing this invocation, we're recognizing his presence. But it's also the same, also at the same time is we are remembering, um, we are calling to mind our baptism. 
When we are baptized, we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As was commanded by Jesus, again, in Matthew 28. He said to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, and one of the practices is to make the sign of the cross. And there's actually several opportunities to make the sign of the cross. This could be this is done to remind us of our baptism. To remind us that when we are baptized, the pastors place the sign of the cross upon our forehead and upon our heart to mark us as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. So we begin with those words as a reminder that we belong to God, the triune God. We are a child of the triune God. We are claimed by him in the waters of baptism. So we begin that service to remember that, lo, the world, God is with us on account of our baptism, right? So the next words is, Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father. And eventually we say our help is in the name of the Lord. And that is our help in regards to our sinful nature. We can't do anything regard to our sin. The fact that we're sins, that we are um, we are sinful, we are wretched, we are broken. There's nothing you can do about it. So our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And then I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. We are calling upon one another. And notice, this is a back and forth between the pastor and the congregation. And the reason is, is because, so the pastor is calling up, is taking the lead, calling upon the congregation to confess her sins. And then the congregation in response set, is telling the pastor that he is to confess his own sins. So you'll notice when we get to the confession, the pastor is speaking with the congregation because he is a sinner just as they are. And so the reason why this is called the preparatory service or the pre-service is because in the ancients, in, early, in many of the old liturgies, there was no confession and absolution. And the reason was, was this usually expected that you came in the night before in church or some point the week before you came in and you did private confession and absolution. And somewhere in the 1800s, 1900s, um, private confession kind of started to fade away. And as such, we started having it as part of the service. This preparatory service originally was just for the pastors and the priests. And so they, the law churches would have multiple pastors, and they would do this exchange with one another. And it was an opportunity for the pastor to confess his sin and prepare himself for worship. In modern worship, one of the practices to distinguish that this is preparing for the service, and this is what I do, is while I'm doing this part of the liturgy, I'm standing right outside the rail. So I don't step into the chancel yet. And the reason is, is I'm communicating that we are readying our, our hearts and our minds for, for the divine service. And we are confessing our sins and receiving absolution to ready us for the divine service. And so then it's confession and absolution. And we say, I poor, middle, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you. 
ever offended you and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment, but I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. Um, or another one is, or the other version is, our mate, Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean. So this is a confession to original sin, that we are born into sin, um, and that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. So our thoughts, our words, and our actions, we have sinned against God. And so we're acknowledging it. Um, you can actually see some, in, with this confession, you can see where the wording comes from, where the blueprint of it comes from, and that is Psalm 51, which is David's confession. After he had uh, slept with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered, uh, when he was confronted in his sin by uh, the prophet Nathan in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, you know, Psalm 51 is believed to have been written at that time and said at that time. And so our confession of sins is very similar. And so these introductory sentences, so um, our help was in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions of the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of our sin. This is each other playing the role of the prophet Nathan unto one another. So the pastor is playing the prophet and the role of the prophet Nathan for the congregation. The congregation is playing the role of the prophet Nathan unto the pastor, calling him to each other to confess their sins. And that's what we do. We confess our sin to one another, amongst one another. And then in response, the pastor gives absolution. So there are two different options. There's what's known as declaration of grace. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us and has given his son, only son to die for us and for his sake forgives us all our sins. To those who believe in his name, he gives power to become the children of God and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, Lord, unto us all. Amen. So it's a declaration of grace. So the pastor is not forgiving you of your sins. He's declaring that your sins are forgiven on account of your baptism. The other option is upon this, your confession. So the first phrase is upon this, your confession. That is saying, assuming that what you confessed, you meant it, that you really are sorry, that you really do see that you are a poor, miserable sinner. Yes, those are, if you really think about those words, those are not comforting words. And your sin's not supposed to leave you comforted. It's actually supposed to, your confession is supposed to leave you with understanding that you're wretched in the sight of God. And when we get into the Ten Commandments, you'll see how that plays out. But here, and in, and we'll talk more about confession when, we, again, like I said, we get more into the catechism. So assuming you really believe it, we're saying upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, so as a called and ordained servant of the word, so as a pastor, I've been given authority. Where's that authority come from? John chapter 20. Um, where Jesus says, whatever sins you forgive are forgiven, whatever sins are not forgiven are withheld. Whatever sin, forgive, or sins are with, forgiveness is withheld is withheld. Or um, what we read from Matt, Matthew 16 a couple of videos ago, where Jesus said to Peter, whatever, you, whatever is bound is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose is loosed in heaven. That also speak to this. Uh, so the pastor, he is given the authority to publicly proclaim forgiveness. 
So I announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it's calling upon your baptism as the source of your forgiveness. So then you go into, um, you might do a psalm or an introit. So this is carrying out what Ephesians 5 commands us to do, to speak to one another in psalms. And so this is exactly what we would do. Um, we speak to one another in psalms. And traditionally, they ends with the Gloria Patri. The Gloria Patri goes, Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And the source of the Gloria Patri, this comes from the early church. In the early church, instead of traditional hymns, they would sing, they would do the psalms. They didn't have the hymns like we have now. They're still developing that. And so the psalms were pretty much the hymns. And in order to distinguish the Luther, the Christian churches from um, the Jewish synagogue, Jewish worship, they ended with a Trinitarian doxology, such as the Gloria Patri. So they would say, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever unto the ages of ages. Amen. And so, glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, um, that is, again, a similar version of that doxology, the Trinitarian confessing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to distinguish our church, this church, from another, from the Jewish worship. So, then you have the Kyrie, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. It's threefold. Um, a reflection of the Trinity. You're going to see the Trinity gets reflected throughout the liturgy. And very simply, the Kyrie is a prayer. Um, it is a prayer of mercy. It's lifting up whatever prayer is on your heart, on your mind. And it's lifting it up to God. It's saying, Lord, have mercy. Um, these words, so it has here. In our hymnal, it actually gives you Bible verses. So here is Mark 10, verse 47. But the phrase of Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, um, something like that, is it comes throughout the Gospels. It usually comes from people um, that are blind, deaf, lepers, people who are in need of healing. And so when they say, Lord, have mercy, it's a prayer. It's a prayer for relief from their leprosy, prayer for relief um, from their deafness or their blindness. And so when we say, Lord, have mercy, it is a prayer for relief of whatever it is on your mind. It's actually, the Kyrie is a good teaching, a training tool. Um, you might see sometimes, you see something on the news, you see there's a devastating earthquake that happens somewhere. You see that somebody, was, there's a kidnapping, and I know right now there's a person missing from Nebraska. Um, you see those things, and you don't know quite the words to say. It's very simple to say, Lord, have mercy. God knows what you're asking. Those simple words are prayers for you, and God understands the prayer of your heart. And we are just carrying on what they did in the scriptures. Then you had the glory in Chelsea. This is, so glory be to God on high and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, this, these are the words of the angels on Christmas when they spoke to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. And so we break into this big song because we've lifted up God, God's heard us in prayer. Um, he's absolved us of our sin. 
And so naturally we break into praise. And there's a lot that can be talked about in the Glorianic Chelsea's. Um, it's a very, it's a, it's a hymn or a song that goes back to, I think about the third or fourth century. So pretty ancient. And then afterwards we have the salutation, the Lord be with you and with thy spirit. This is very ancient. This predates Christianity. Um, we actually have um, evidence. It is believed that even Jesus would have had this response. So to say the Lord be with you and also with you. Um, or in with thy spirits, the other response. Uh, and so what's the difference between those two responses? So the Lord be with you is the pastor saying the Lord is with you, which is true. If you are a baptized child of God, and actually just by virtue of hearing when you're in the presence of God's word, the Lord is with you as he promised he would be in Matthew 28. He said, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When you say, and also with you to the pastor, that's true. The, the Lord is still with the pastor. Uh, but it's also an acknowledgement, it's also encouragement to the pastor, because the pastor in a little bit is going to preach a sermon. He's going to um, teach you about God's word. And it could be nerve-wracking. He's, I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. As a pastor, I can tell you, I'm nervous about my sermons. I'm worrying <coughs> that people won't quite understand or won't come through. We could become perfectionists, but we also we're so worried about what people receive or worried about being faithful to God's word. And so when you say, and with your spirit, it's letting us, the pastor, know that as we preach the word, that the Lord is with our spirit as we proclaim that word. And there's a reason why. So we have that salutation three times during the service. Um, it's said right before the proclamation of the word, and the hearing of the scriptures, it's to let you know that when the word is preached, you, the congregation, the Lord is with you as you hear the word. But it's And the response is to let the pastor know that as he preaches it, the Holy Spirit is working with him. It is said right before the Lord's Supper, because it's to let you know that when you receive the bread, that is the body of Jesus. When you receive the wine, that is the blood of Jesus. And the Lord is with you in the Lord's Supper. And again, it's to encourage the, you respond with thy spirit, or it also with you, to let you know that in spirit, the, that the Lord is with the pastor. Say, so, yeah, the pastor, sometimes we're wondering, like, who am I to do this service? Who am I to administer this holy meal? I don't deserve to do this. I'm not worthy. And so it's encouragement to the pastor. The Lord is with your, your spirit. You're encouraging us. And then the last one is right before the service is over. And again, this is the pastor saying, the Lord is with you as you go about your week and you go about your vocation, you go to work, you care for your kids, you um, go to school, whatever. The Lord is with you. And you respond and with your spirit is to let the pastor know that as you go, we go visit the hot, we go to the hospitals and visit members. We go to visit our shut-ins. Um, we're doing videos like I'm doing right now, um, doing any of these things that the Lord is with us, right? So that's what it means. So it's a very beautiful exchange with such a simple phrase. And the Lord be with you. It's straight out of Scripture. Um, these are what the this is what the angel said to the angel Gabriel said to Mary when he greeted her. He said. Greetings, Mary. Oh, Mary, the Lord is with you. So, and with thy spirit, that comes from 2 Timothy 4.22.
And then we come with the collect, which is a prayer. It's called the collect because it's a collection of the thoughts for the day. It's taking specifically the thoughts of the gospel lesson and putting it to a prayer. Um, it's kind of previewing your lessons. Then you have, you have a set of scripture readings, the Old Testament reading, the epistle reading, and the Holy Gospel. Um, there's a schedule as to what is read each week. Um, and I could probably, I'm probably going to talk about that on probably one of the last videos. I'll talk about the church here. But we do have a set three readings that we have every single week. And the psalm is also set to a specific day as well. Um, so there is a possible, so in between the Old Testament and the Epistle lesson, you would have the gradual. The origin of the gradual was, it used to be that um, they didn't have like iPads. They didn't, weren't able to print out all the texts like we do. So they actually had, each book was, each lesson was on a different scroll or papyrus or whatever. And so they would need, they'd use the gradual as an opportunity, as time for the lector, the reader, to find his page for the next reading. Um the Alleluia verse, similarly, same thing. So the Alleluia verse will go like, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The word Alleluia simply means praise Yahweh. It's a Hebrew word. Um, it can be found especially in the Psalms. Um, but it's, it serves as a bridge between the epistle lesson and the gospel. And there's usually an Alleluia verse. Uh, not a lot of churches do the verse anymore, but they're actually, the way you do it is like, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God. Alleluia, Alleluia. Hallelujah. So right in the middle there, that is a verse. Now, there's actually a different verse for literally every single day of the church here. And so, um, but there's also the common one. The one I just chanted, that was the common one. Um, if people don't want to do the proper for the day. But either way, it's all set to bridge the epistle and the gospel. It allows the preacher or the reader to find the gospel reading and it also, if you're to do a gospel processional, which sometimes churches do, where they carry the, the book, the gospel, the book of gospels, they carry it into the middle of the sanctuary, symbolizing what John 1 says. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So symbolizing that the word made flesh dwelt among us, the word is read, the word of Christ, the gospel is read in the midst of the people. And so this Alleluia verse allowed to give time for the pastor to get into his place. Um, then you have the creed. The creed could go either before the sermon or after the sermon. And I'll talk later a little bit more about the details of the creeds in a later video, but there is a Nicene creed. There's an apostles creed. The Nicene creed is typically read on communion Sundays and the apostles creed on non-communion. Apostles' Creed is on the non-communion Sundays because it is a creed that's tied to baptism. The, the, the sacrament that is most to be emphasized in a non-communion service is baptism. And so, and so since Apostles' Creed was confessed to baptism, it's confessed at confirmation services. Um, it is the one that serves that service. Um, the Nicene Creed is the one that is used for communion, especially because 
It is the most unified creed. It's the one that every denomination that confesses. So like the Eastern Church does not use the Apostles' Creed. Well, they, they may not, they probably wouldn't disagree with the Apostles' Creed, but they don't confess it. And so, but they do confess the Nicene Creed. And so it is the ultimate confession of the universal church. And so it's very fitting to say it in conjunction with the communion service. Where it goes in the service. So if you put it before the sermon, the reason why we put it before the sermon is that it is um, basically it's a charge to the pastors. Like, pastor, this is what we believe as Christians. And so when you go up into that pulpit and you preach, and if you preach anything contrary to what was confessed in this creed, we're going to come after you. This creed is a standard bearer to the pastor. Tell him, this is the truth you are to be professing while you're in that pulpit. If it's said after the creed, it's a after the sermon, it's being said as an act of unity. It's an act, it's a recognition that we are when we go up to the Lord's Supper, is a confession of the unity we have in faith. And it's kind of a way of saying, hey, all who will go up to this altar to receive the Lord's Supper belong there. This is part of close communion. Again, topic for another later video. So then comes the hymn of the day. The hymn of the day is right before the sermon. And like I said, there are there's really only one hymn that's scheduled in here. And we're singing hymns just again. Ephesians 5 tells us to sing hymns. Um, and so the hymn of the day is a hymn that reflects the gospel lesson. It's the one that's going to reflect the overall theme of the day. And they tend to be theologically very rich. They're designed to teach. Um, there are some very, very beautiful, powerful hymns of the day. Um, they're really, really, if you read them and dig into them. Uh, right over my shoulder here, if you look right here, there's these two books right here. This was put right out by Concordia Publishing House uh, just this month. It is the um, Companion to the Hymns. Those are two volumes that really dig in deep to the theology and the history of the hymns within this hymnal. And, there's, and it's amazing when you read the history and the past of some of these hymns what the authors were going through, what some of these verses mean. Um, they are designed to really dig into your faith. And so there's always a hymn of the day. Then you have the sermon. You know, that's the that's kind of the apostles' teaching. That's keeping up with the hearing the apostles' teaching, right? Then you have the offertory. Now, the offertory is a response to the sermon but it's also kind of our minds starting to transition. So I talked about there's a preparatory service. So when the when we got to that the intro, the psalm, the Gloria Patria, all that, that began the service of the word. When the sermon is completed, the offertory is sung as a way of bridging the service of the word and the service of the sacrament. And so uh, you see, in reaction to the sermon, this is the one in Divine Service 3. There's other um, offertories. There's so many, so much variety when it comes to the, the offertory. But in this case, it's the, taken from Psalm 51, the words of David after he was with Bathsheba. It says, We sing, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So this is appropriate reaction to a sermon that would preach um, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, law and gospel. Again, something I'm going to talk about actually in the next video. <clears throat> so this is a reaction, but it's preparing for the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is the answer to the offertory. That is how he's going to create in you a clean heart. So then you have the offering. Um, this is... You know, this, again, this was in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which we read a little bit ago. This is traditionally part of the church. Um, you have the prayer of the church. This is all, this is usually the longer prayer. Uh, this is where we pray for all different things. We pray for our country. We pray for our president. We pray for our leaders. That is commanded by Scripture. We are commanded to pray for our leaders. We are supposed to pray for our president. We pray for Don President Donald. President Donald Trump. So a lot of times you'll hear in churches, and I do this sometimes, where we speak just the first name. President, we lift up to you, President Donald. This is not a disrespect to Donald Trump. Um, and the same thing, President Barack or President George, um, the previous presidents, or Governor Kim. We're in Iowa, so Governor Kim Reynolds. It's not a disrespect. It's actually a recognition that when we're talking to God, President Trump is not um, God's president. He's not the president to, to Jesus, uh, to God the Father, all right? President Trump is God's servant, not the other way around, right? And, and what's more is President Donald, as far as we know from what he said, he's a Christian. Um, I know there's people that will doubt that. But we are not a position. We can only go by a person's confession. And by his confession, he is a Christian. And by the way, so was President Obama, based upon what he's confessed. Now, again, with President Obama, you might doubt it and question it, but that's not our position. That's up to God, all right? But based on their confession, they're Christians. And so we bring to them the name that they know to God, President Obama, President Trump, they're not President Trump, President Obama. They're just Donald, just Barack. And this is something you I, I didn't really get didn't get until I became a pastor. For quite often as pastors, we're just known as pastor, and that, that's okay. But sometimes it could get to such a degree that people don't you don't hear your name first name very often. You almost begin to forget it. So, but before God, I am just Neil. And there's something comforting about that, to hear Neil lifted up in prayer, not President Pastor Wemus, because that's an official title. My, my dad didn't call, doesn't call me, hey, Mr. Wemus. My dad, called, my dad or my mom called me Neil. It's what you refer to your child by their name. God knows us by name. By saying, praying and by the first name, it's identifying him as a child of God. And it's actually a great act of love and kindness. And so this is what we pray when we pray for. And we do this, we would do this for our members. The only challenge with that is like, so if I pray, uh, we pray for Frank. 
there may be multiple friends in your congregation. So we say the full name, just prevent confusion. There's not multiple President Donalds. There's only one President Donald, right? Because there's only one president. So that's why for like famous people, for govern government officials, we could just use the first name. For individuals, people we know, like members of the congregation, we have to use the full name just to prevent confusion. Um, I know some churches will just say the first name and then they have the list in the bulletin, which we have the list in the bulletin, but still people may not check the bulletin. So again, just preventing confusion. So we pray for the congregation. Yeah, we pray for people who are sick. We pray for people who are graving those who died. We pray for the church throughout the world. We pray for pastors. We pray for people who are weak in the faith. Um, we pray for a lot of things in that. And it's actually the way the congregation of prayer is designed, it descends. So it starts out broad. Talk about the whole church throughout the world. That is the biggest sense. Then it goes to, to the government. That's pretty wide, but not as wide as the church. And then you go down and then you start to talk about, then you start talking about the local community. And then you talk about the congregation. So it slowly dwindles all the way down to a very specific. So we're praying for one another. And that's, again, that's what scripture does. Scripture commands us. We pray. We're supposed to pray for one another. Um, then you go into the, then this is when the service of the sacrament really begins. And you have the preface. This is of antiquity. The preface um, actually comes out of, um, the Passover liturgies, so it predates Christianity. And I, I kind of like that in our contemporary service, we maintain this. One of the cool things about this little part, it is known really well. There is a, an HBO special starring, uh, i got to think of the comedian's name. I'll remember it, and I'll probably remember it halfway through. But it was a fairly popular comedian back on about 15 years ago. Um, and he was doing this HBO special. He was talking about how he was a he's a Roman Catholic. He grew up Catholic. He said, oh, a bunch of Catholics here? And he's in Madison Square Garden, by the way. So we're talking like 20,000 people. He goes, the Lord be with you. The whole congregation, the whole, not congregation, the whole arena says, and also with you. He says, lift up your hearts. And they say, we lift them to the Lord. And <coughs> excuse me. And then again, he says, we let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And he says, it is meet and right so to do. The entire Madison Square Garden on this HBO special was able to respond. How could they do that? Because churches throughout the centuries have said that very same response. And there's something cool about that. It is a reminder of the unity of the church that goes beyond walls, beyond even church denominations. It connects us through this location, through denominations, through the centuries. It's a really powerful thing to think about. So I like that we kept that, we keep that in our um, contemporary services. Then there's the Sanctus. Um, the use of the Sanctus, again, this actually comes from the Passover liturgy. Um, the part that got added in is where we say, blessed is he, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, because that's actually coming from, so the two parts, the first part, oh, holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabaoth, 
And that's coming from um, Isaiah 6. This is the words of the angels being sung. They're greeting. Uh, they're singing uh, before Isaiah, singing regarding the Lord who's high and exalted on his throne. Um, and these are words that you actually find again in Revelation. So it's probably a good idea that we sing this from time to time. And again, I kind of like that in our contemporary service, we sing a version of this. It doesn't have to be the Divine Service 3 one, but we do a song to us. And I like that because we're putting in the practice of a song that you're going to be singing in heaven. So we might as well get used to it because it's in Isaiah. It's in Revelation. I think it's going to be sung. So um, we should get used to it. And then the other part, like I said, and then the last half is from the from uh, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. And so we sing both of those. So then you have the Lord's Prayer. So whenever you have a meal, you're supposed to pray before you eat, right? Well, appropriately, we pray the Lord's Prayer at the Lord's Supper. And so this is a prayer we pray. Um, in Divine Service Setting 2, there's this kind of this little thing where they kind of flip-flop the words of institution and the Lord's Prayer. And they have like this as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray that. Um, that is actually something that comes out of modern Catholic liturgies. And it's kind of a neat thing. I kind of like it. Um, but it was it's something that's actually fairly new. It's only been in the services and our orders of service since the symbol. The symbol introduced it. Uh, but generally, we just do the Lord's Prayer. And the, one of the practices we have here is you could chant it and actually come back to that. So after the Lord's Prayer is prayed, then you get the words of institution. And this is, some, this is commanded. This is not an option. The words of institution are said over the bread and the wine because without it, there is no Lord's Supper. Without God's word, it isn't the supper. You're just eating bread. You're just eating wine. There's no forgiveness of sins. Without the word of God, it is nothing, right? So this is commanded. This is not optional. So the pastor says these words over the elements, consecrates it. And when does the, if, does the body become present? When does the blood become present? That's a subject and a topic discussion for another video. But either way, you have the words of institution because the word is absolutely essential for the Lord's Supper. And then the pastor says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Congregation says, amen. And the phrase, this is the Pax Domini, peace of the Lord be with you always. The pastor is exchanging the very same words that Jesus said in the upper room. When he appeared in the upper room after his resurrection, this is recorded in both John's gospel and Luke's gospel, he says to the disciples, peace be with you. And they say, and that is the pastor, when we say peace of the Lord be with you always, we're, exchange, we're sharing that very same peace. And it's kind of a cool little sequence of events here. So, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then we say, the, then you hear, so we're praying that forgiveness. And this is also after we said in the um, offertory, create in me a clean heart. There's this cool, really, really cool sequence that's going on in the liturgy. 
And so twice we've asked for forgiveness, the cleansing, a new heart, being renewed, being the person that God wants us to be. And then we get, after the words of institution, the pastor will say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And something I do is I would take the bread and the cup and I'd hold it like this saying, peace of the Lord be with you always. And what I'm telling you is in this bread, in this wine, this bread, which now when you receive it is the body of Jesus, this wine, when you receive it is the blood of Jesus, is the answer to your prayer to create in me a clean heart. This is where your heart is cleaned, uh, made clean. This is where you are, your trespasses are forgiven, as you prayed for a little bit ago in the Lord's sup, in the um, in the Lord's prayer. And so I'm saying, the peace of the Lord be with you always. The peace of the Lord is right here in physical form. And then we sing the Agnus Dei, Lamb of God. O Christ, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Grant us thy peace. We're praying for mercy. We're praying for mercy. We're praying for peace. And then you come to the Lord's Supper, which is the New Testament Passover meal, really. And you receive the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, by which he's having mercy on you, by which he is giving you peace, which is why quite often you'll hear the pastor say, when you're, after you've received the Lord's Supper, he says, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. So Jesus is granting you your wish. But this it's not over. So, so right there, those, O Christ, the Lamb of God, that's the Agnus Dei. These are quoting the words from John, where John said, when he saw Jesus, it says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, and it's a three-pronged response. And this is a very ancient um, song. Then you come to Dimittis. This is a song that I think is good to sing, um, to be familiar with, because we sing this. This is set at funerals. This is set at bedsides for the commendation of the dying. And it's straight out of Scripture. It's taken from Luke 2, 29 to 40, 32. You are singing word for word the words of Simeon from the Bible. And so... The reason why, by the way, one of, if you're wondering why we chant, why we sing these things the way we do, it's because it's for memorization. Um, it helps you to remember things a lot better than if you just simply spoke it. Uh, so, you know, this is how we learn the ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Song helps us learn. And so the Nuke Dominus has done the song. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. And no, it begins with, depart in peace. So these words, Song of Simeon, um, these were written by, these were said by Simeon when he held the infant Jesus in his arms. See, the story was, what it has it, it says in Luke that Simeon was promised that he would not see death, he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And there he saw the Lord's Christ, the promise, Jesus. And upon seeing, he said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. So in other words, he's saying, I can now go die. I've seen the Lord's Christ. See, we, 
have received the Lord's Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The peace of the Lord with, is with us always in this. The peace of the Lord, we received it. The forgiveness of our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. The, the thing that creates in us a new heart. We have received this peace. And for that reason, when we receive the Lord's Supper, when we sing these words, we are saying, Lord, I, I could die now because you granted your promise. You have forgiven my trespasses. The peace of the Lord is with me, and I have tasted it. I've touched it. I've smelt it because you can smell some of the wine. You've received the peace of the Lord. And then the pastor says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. How appropriate. He is good. He just gave you his very self that he erred for you on the cross. When he died on the cross, when he shed his blood, the blood that was shed on the cross, the body that was broken, you just received it for the forgiveness of sins. And so is there any more reason to give thanks to the Lord for he is good? His mercy endures forever, even to this day. And then we pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, we give thanks to Almighty God that you have refreshed us through the salutary gift. Or, O oh God, the Father, the fountain, the source of all goodness, of loving kindness, sent your only begotten Son. So we're giving thanks for the sacrament. And it's interesting is that both of these call to us to live differently. So you notice in the Dukedomness it says, A light to enlighten the Gentiles. The glory of thy people Israel. That is actually a call upon us now that we we have gone and we're going in peace. Have received the word that we are to be the we are to enlighten the Gentiles. Speak to notice unbelievers to bring the good news of Jesus to others. And in this prayer, it says, "We pray that you, we implore you that of your mercy you strengthen us the same faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another." So we're praying that God would enable us to serve. Be in fervent love. And again, it says, in the other version, says, you do not forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. So we pray that we would be enabled to serve God, serve our neighbors. Then you have the salutation again. I talked about that earlier. And then it ends with the benediction, which is, Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord that up his countenance upon you and give you peace. These, This is the benediction straight from the book of Numbers. It's known as the Aaronic benediction. Um, so again, this us saying this, this is actually uh, carrying out a tradition of the scriptures. And countenance simply means a smile. It's saying that God smiles upon you. And so this is where the service ends. So there you go. That's the divine service. I mean, that's quite a bit. And that was... I know it's 46 minutes. I just blazed through it. Um, it's This is what we do on Sunday mornings. There's so much going on, and I even go into the art of the church, the sanctuary. That's a whole discussion. There's a lot of other stuff I could talk about. But that is the basics of what goes on every Sunday morning or Saturday evening. It is, And as you look through it, it is bleeding through God's mercy his love, his grace, he's hearing your prayers, he's teaching you, he's forming you to be more and more in his image, to be more and more his child. So pray that we keep in that word, keep in his sacrament, till he returns. In Jesus' name, amen.